All right, Forge family, thank you that uh, we're gathered together in your name, Lord. Uh, we thank you for our worship leader this, the leadership this afternoon, and we ask, Lord, that um, what came out of our mouth would be true truth. Lord, my, my friend and brother uh, Zuccarelli in Argentina said, we, we, we are most untruthful when we sing our hymns, when we sing our praise songs. You know, we, we just sort of go on automatic, Lord, and we sing to you, uh, we have a soulish experience, but we don't, we don't speak truth necessarily. And so, Lord, we, we stop and we want to review some of that now in our hearts, Lord. Is there a prompt? Is there a ping? Uh, as we prepare our hearts to come to you, Lord, we want to come with hearts that are grateful, hearts that are thankful and faithful, and we want to come on our knees. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with an introduction this week to 1 Thessalonians. Um, if you recall the scene out of Acts chapter 16, uh, you have the Apostle Paul, you have Silas, or Silvanus, his name appears in two different forms in the New Testament, and a young man named Timothy. And um, they have walked something like 800 miles, uh, well, it's with Timothy, 500, since they left Antioch. <clears throat> Paul and, um, and Silas have walked 800 miles, <clears throat> and uh, they had tried to preach the gospel in Galatia, where Paul and Barnabas had gone. They planted churches. There was a response. And the Lord shut his mouth. The Lord said, you know, it says by, by, by Holy Spirit, don't preach in Asia. So he kept going. They went to Phrygia, which was next door. And the Lord said, not here. And they kept walking. And then the Lord sort of, on their own, they, they turned and they went northeast toward, toward Bithynia. And I gave you some maps. Bithynia kind of is up on the, the south shore of the Black Sea and the north coast of modern-day Turkey. And they get, they get to Bithynia, and the Lord, and it says, the text changed a little bit, it says, the Spirit of Jesus forbid that they go there. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you kind of go, here's my chance, here's my opportunity, I've got the message, I'm, you know, I, I want to minister there. And the Lord says, nope, not today, not tomorrow, not, not never, whatever. And so they turned, and they came down through Mycenae, following the past the Bosporus down into the Aegean Sea, and they end up in Troas. And one of, my, one of the people I, I really listen to uh, when he speaks, um, Mark uh, Sharona, he has a, a monster theological library that he has assembled, and he told a story to us once about Paul who went off by himself overnight away from his team, and he was just torn up because... He was there on a missionary journey, and the Lord had shut his mouth. And so he was crying out to the Lord, and he received a vision. And the vision was uh, a man from Macedonia speaking to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. <clears throat> End quote. And, and Paul and Silas and Timothy quickly took ship from Troas across the northern end of the Aegean Sea to Neapolis, uh, which was the port city, and then went from Neapolis to Philippi. When he gets to Philippi, uh, he, he recognizes there's no synagogue in town. There's not a quorum. You had to have, I'm sorry, I don't know the exact number. I believe it was 12 men over 30 who were devout who, so that you could establish a synagogue. And there weren't that many Jews, uh, devout men in Philippi at that time. But, so he did the second best thing, which is you go down by the water where people pray. 
So he goes down and he reads the God-fearers. Those who had a, re- a sense that those altars up there in town, all those idols, that's not it. I'm just going to gather with these people down here. And there was a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple, meaning the crushed uh, seashells from Asia Minor. Uh, maybe as far south as Sidon, Tyre and Sidon. They would harvest those seashells. They would crush them. And that purple, the purple dye was highly priced, highly valued, etc. So this woman said, I believe I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. Come to my house. So they moved the ministry team into her house. And he was moving through the city on a regular basis. And he was confronted by this woman with a a python spirit uh, who was doing divination and, and false prophecies. And she identified Paul and Silas as servants of the Most High God. True statement, foul mouths to deliver it. And uh, the owners of this, the managers, the, the um, we would say pimp, okay, uh, someone who would manage her uh, and her demonic gift. Um, they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them in front of the Roman uh, prelate or whoever it was in Philippi which was a colony, Roman colony and they, they said uh, this, this one is, is creating great confusion in the city and uh, they were then uh, beaten with rods, stripped beat their back, was back and the back of their legs were beaten with rods which bruised at best and split the skin and after X number of blows you started to freely bleed then they were put in in, a, in an underground prison, chained together, they went through, they were worshiping. They lifted their hands, they worshiped in spite of the pain that they were in. And an earthquake struck the town and struck the prison. Ultimately, they're released. Ultimately, they're, they, and they present themselves again before the magistrates and whoever in, in Philippi. And it's discovered that Paul is a Roman citizen, which was just beaten as if he was just a barbarian. You don't do that to Roman citizens. And so out of fear... The magistrates, the, whoever it was that ruled, that had placed the ruling to have them beaten, they hustled them quickly out of town. So then they start walking, and they walk up the Ignatian Way uh, via Ignatia. This was a Roman road, 200 years old. It was made uh, out of stone. They had laid stone upon stone upon stone, and, and, and mor- not mortared it so much as set it in sand and set it on a firm base. And that road was still in good shape after 200 years. And they started walking east. And they go through a couple of cities on the way. There were no synagogues. And they just kept moving. Now, they were moving slowly because everything about them hurt. Every time they moved, they would break a scab. Every time they would move, there would be this flare on their backs and legs. So it took them a long time to walk 90 miles to get themselves to Thessalonica. Now, we say Thessalonica... The Greeks would say Thessalonica. Okay? All right. Now, that city uh, dated back 300 years. Uh, Initially, it had been called Thermae, T-H-E-R-M-A-E, because it sat right on a a fault line, and there were hot springs, and it was named after the hot springs. And then it was uh, Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great, who established the town of Thermae and really built it up because he went and picked up 26 villages and, and took all the people, ripped them out of their villages and put them into the city of Thermae. 
And then his son-in-law, Cassander, comes along, and he names that city after his wife, Thessaloniki. Okay? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. That particular city, Thessalonica, was, was placed on a deep water harbor. It is perhaps the best harbor on the Aegean. And it was, it was, the harbor was in behind a large kind of landmass ahead that blocked the wind. And uh, one of the things that made harbors dangerous was that particular part of the world, when high, heavy storms come, it drives in from the southeast, and it would drive these boats in the harbor, drive them right up on the shore, or sink them in the harbor. But Thessalonica had a, a windbreak, this, this mountain that sort of stood in the way for that wind. <clears throat> Uh, the city had lots of farmland around it, uh, deep forests, dense forests, mineral resources, multiple rivers. There was gold, there was silver, there was copper, there was lead, there was uh, iron. And when the Roman armies finally decided it was worth taking, they showed up in AD, excuse me, in BC 168, and they conquered Macedonia, and they named Thessalonica as the center of commerce and government for one of the four provinces in Macedonia that had fallen to the Romans. Ultimately, Thessalonica becomes the capital city, main, main trade city for all of Macedonia that stretched from the um, Adriatic over toward the west all the way to the Aegean. Um, and that Via Ignatia, that Roman stone road, ran from the Bosporus all the way, went right through, through Thessalonica, ran through the city gates, and it kept going west, and it went all the way to modern Albania on the, the coast of, uh, the, Adria, of the Adriatic, <clears throat> which made it a, a monster trade route. It was the way that the Romans communicated and sent troops and other things by land to the eastern provinces. <clears throat> the uh, Thessalonians supported Rome's agendas in the area, and so they ended up with what was called a free city status. Um, so there was no Roman governor, there was no Roman garrison, there was a, a bunch of magistrates who were wealthy, influential men in town, there was a senate, and there was a public assembly, and they would make decisions sort of between the three of them over what three different bodies, what was going to happen in the city of Thessalonica and in the whole region. Most of the city's population of, uh, we believe, 100,000 plus at the time when Paul walked in the door, they were Greek, but there were a lot of other ethnic minorities that were represented as well, and there were many Jews. Um, that that uh, Via Ignatia was a trade road. It, it, everything had to move right through town, and you could stand at the gate and say, pay me your entry fee. And you stand at the other gate and you say, pay me your exit fee. <laughs> You know, they made money off the trade. And the, the ships that sailed in from all over the Mediterranean and the Black Sea would come to that port because they knew they could shelter there in bad weather and they could make money. <clears throat> Above the anchorage was a, uh, in the harbor was a mountain. Uh, and they, the Thessalonian people decided they would shape that mountain and terrace that mountain and make it look just like a Roman amphitheater. And, you know, there's some 
some artwork that I've seen. Nobody knows what it was, but there's a good, a good estimate that that mountain had been sort of turned into what you would perceive to be a, a big model of a Roman amphitheater. So uh, in, in front of that Roman amphitheater, that it was, excuse me, it was filled with, with warehouses, with taverns, with residences, with businesses, and temples. Thessalonica, Thessalonica prospered. And there were those, even in that day, ancient day, they said, unless nature changes, meaning we have a massive earthquake that sinks us, you know, Thessalonica is going to be a wealthy city. When Paul and Silas, with Timothy, limped into Thessalonica in the spring of A.D. 49, there were 25 separate sites that we know of uh, that worship various idols, gods, moral values, and emperors. The Greek pantheon of gods was represented. You know, some of them, Dionysius, and, and there were others that had, had temples and things like that. The Roman gods had representatives. Um, the Roman god Roma, that was sort of the female version of that, she had a, a set of temples in town. The Egyptian pantheon was represented in Thessalonica. It was known in, the, in that part of the world. You want to go worship Isis or Osiris or whoever it was, you go to Thessalonica. Uh, there were um, um, mystery cults from Asia Minor that had moved across the, across the ocean and moved in on Thessalonica. And the Jews had their synagogues. So you've got a, a pretty uh, mixed religious response in, in which everybody's religious. Okay? To the Greeks, worship was a system of rituals directed outward from themselves toward their gods. Worship to them was a physical action and participation, some of which was profoundly wicked. Okay? Um, and it was so much, so much so that they were committed to it that wealthy patrons of various temples or gods would put up cash to try and attract a crowd. Let's, let's have a celebration. and Everybody come. We're going to have a citywide party. <clears throat> um, at home, behind closed doors, you know, you see, out, out in public, you had public games, you had sacrifices, you had celebrations, uh, you had uh, parades and things like that. But at home, behind closed doors, you had house gods. You had women who practiced their own versions of how to keep control in this home, how to get protected in this home and in the market. Banquets, births, marriages, rites of passage, funerals, uh, threats on, on the household or on the health of that family, they were all set in place using divination, using fortune-telling, using astrology. The Jews of Thessalonica would go to the synagogues meeting Mondays, Thursdays, and on Sabbath Saturdays. So three times a week, uh, devout Jews would go. They would hear the Hebrew scriptures read and explained. Exposited, you know what in the world was Zechariah saying? You know, <laughs> even they said that. Okay, <clears throat> and perhaps they sang the Psalms. So three times a week there was some activity through the synagogues in the city. At the time that Paul's missions team came into Thessalonica, it was a rousing seaport that offered every vice and deviant behavior option, whatever it was, available in the ancient world to traders and sailors, gamblers and, and drinkers, soldiers and priests. And the residents of Thessalonica were full participants. They, they went after that too. T 
today, portions of the of the Thessalonian arches, um, uh, things like later in the Byzantine era, there were there were uh, mosaics and things like all, they, a lot of the ancient things that were beautiful got lifted out of Thessalonia, Thessalonica, and taken to museums in Europe and in America. You go to Chicago and see, oh, this is out of Thessalonica. Go to London, there it is. Okay, but when you go back as a tourist, the tourists people, the, the guides, take you to where, now here, here's, here's the amphitheater, still there. Here's half an arch. This is where it was built in, to honor Augustus. This over here. So it was really a, it was a Roman town. Okay? <clears throat> and it is said that Thessalonica was such a, a center that it had surpassed almost all other cities in Greece and in Asia Minor for its, its uh, arches and theaters and such. Now, as mentioned, Paul and his team arrive from Philippi, and Acts 17 records that he taught on three Sabbath days. Uh, he was in town maybe 17, 18, maybe, maybe full three weeks. They don't know. But three Sabbath days, three Saturdays. And then he may have entered into public discourse in the synagogues eight or nine other nights, eight or, eight, eight or nine other times, with people who were coming to the synagogues. <clears throat> His pattern was to go to the synagogue first, presenting Jesus Christ, the Messiah, risen from the dead. Uh, and there was, when he did that in Thessalonica, there was such a warm, spontaneous response from a handful. Okay, there were, there were some Jews who said, I want that Messiah, and they believed. There were some God-fearers who happened to be in and out of synagogues or around the perimeter of becoming, uh, they might have been on their way to becoming Jews. Um, and then there were some who were leading women in the city. They converted and rejoiced, and the Jewish population, Jewish leaders, panicked. So it was the Jews who went to the marketplace um, scraped up some of the thugs from the marketplace and led a riot to Jason's house. Jason was a wealthy Jew. He, um, he was housing the missions, the, that missions team. And when he got to the, you know, when the, when the riot arrived at Jason's house, they seized him and dragged him, threw him in front of the magistrates and said, this man and the people who've come to this town are proclaiming a king other than Caesar. Now, who was it that started all this? They were Jews. Okay? So what they did, um, they're alarmed, they're frustrated, they see, they see converts leaving their synagogues, but they lift up the name of Caesar. And so they go to the market, they get, you know, a bunch of hard men, and uh, um, they, again, the charge was they are presenting a king who is not Caesar. It wasn't the Greeks that did that, Okay? It was the Jews. They're the ones who motivated the riot and gave the thugs a voice. They basically coached them. This is what you say when you get in front of the magistrates. And, and it honestly scared the city, scared the magistrates, because they were so indebted, as it were, to, Ro to Roman benefactors that they wanted to stifle that sound right there, um, that they didn't want that to find its way to any Roman ears. So what they did was they, they forced a bail bond fee on Jason 
and on any other new believers in Christ that have been picked up at Jason's house in the dragnet and made them pay so that they could be free men again to try and keep the peace uh, and shut down this new gathering of believers in Christ. <clears throat> Timothy uh, and Paul and Silas went out the back door. They left at night. They went down that, that Roman road because you can make really good time. <laughs> You weren't on a trail at night. You weren't ducking under bushes and things like that. You went down the road, and then they hung a left. They went south. They weren't going to go west toward the coast. They went toward Berea, which aims them south toward Athens. <clears throat> Weeks pass, and Paul is deeply concerned for the new ecclesia, the new gathering, the new, the new gathering of believers who, who he had to just leave behind in Thessalonica. And, and, and he was banned. He could not go back. Neither could Silas. Uh, so he, he steps up for a radical decision here. He sends Timothy. Now, Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. He, they had run into him on the early part of their missionary journey in Lystra, which is in Galatia. And it is this, the description in chapter 16 is that Timothy was a disciple. He was somebody who had been raised to speak Greek, raised in the Greek marketplace and educational system. But his mother, the Jewess, made sure he understood Old Testament. He understood the synagogue system, understood what Israel was leaning in for and calling out for in a Messiah. And when he heard the good news about Christ, um, he, he believed. Then Paul and Silas show up at his house and... Um, he, he is then included in the missions team. But first, Paul has to circumcise him because he would have been totally unacceptable in a Jewish synagogue, which meant they had to wait a while before they could go on from that city. Um, then they start walking, and it's that, from that point, 500 miles pass under their feet. You know, they go up through Phrygia, they go through Galatia, they go through Bithynia, and down through My Mycenae. And, and, and another 100 miles plus in Greece, in, in Macedonia. <clears throat> and this young man had been listening. He'd been in, you know, he had learned and learned and learned, and then Paul shows up. And so then you can say, you know, what about this? And what, the Old Testament says this, and what about that? And so it had been a walking seminary experience for him. And it is Timothy that carries Paul's greetings and concerns, and, uh, and he... He, uh, he has some ability to answer questions when he gets to those groups that are gathering in Thessalonica. <clears throat> um, now, he was sent back north to slip secretly, quietly, into the city uh, because he wasn't on the banned list. And he went then to, uh, to these groups that had experienced some great harassment and some, some persecution. And, and Paul wanted to know, how are they doing? Uh, Paul and Silas turned and went south. They went toward Athens, and then they continued on to Corinth. Um, now, there's a significant disagreement about where was Paul when Timothy caught up with him. Was he in Athens? Did Paul sit down in Athens and pin, you know, First Thessalonians, or had he already traveled through Athens? Because he went into the markets, he went up on Mars Hill, he spoke about the God, you know, the unnamed God. And, but there wasn't a particular response in Athens to, by which to plant a church and stay there. So he moved on to Corinth. 
So we don't know where he was when the message came from Thessalonica through Timothy. But he was moved to begin to write to them. So he, again, he, he writes a letter of encouragement followed by answers to some of the big questions that Timothy had heard kicked around in the assemblies in Thessalonica. <clears throat> when he finished the letter, it was slipped into a, you know, a, a pouch, a purse, a man purse, uh, something that he carried on the way back to Thessalonica. And, and we know that letter as 1 Thessalonians. He would be back again with another report to Paul and, and then carry a second letter, a second epistle called 2 Thessalonians back to the, to the church in Thessalon, uh, Thessalonia. Thessal- yes, that one. <laughs> that I tangled myself. Um, Thessalonica. Um, we, this particular set of books, First and Second Thessalonians, uh, it's received by almost every scholar. There's very few who want to redate it or, or say, no, that didn't happen, or Paul wasn't there. They basically agree this was the real deal. And First Thessalonians is probably uh, the second letter that Paul sent out that was copied, it was distributed, it was honored, it was taught, and it was applied by the local churches. <clears throat> uh, and later, 200 years later, plus, it was added to the canon for the New Testament. So, Ford's family, um, I want to know, and you can just, we can reflect on this a bit in a while. What happened when you received Jesus? Was there rejoicing in your family? Or was there harsh responses? Uh, Early on, did you share Christ with friends and that relationship got strained or terminated? Were you pushed out, marginalized, looked at as if you're crazy? Or a fool. Now, we know that in some places in Latin America, South America, Cuba, the Muslim nations, uh, if you convert to Jesus Christ, your family finds out about it, they throw you out. They beat you. They run you through the streets. They attempt to kill you sometimes. So uh, all of that had been going on in Thessalonica in some measure. Husbands of these leading women in the town had a wife that had converted and she's changed and there's a burn barrel filled with her household idols ready to be turned to ash slaves are responding differently to their masters and they're worshiping a new god the the taverns and the brothels you know maybe their income was down okay the offerings to temples and the purchase of amulets and other trinkets that you get at pagan temples. That was down. Okay? And, uh, you know, the, the ecclesia of Thessalonica had been loosed into that city with joy and with the weapons of spiritual warfare. Now, as we, as we wait for a promised revival, uh, spoken of by multiple prophets, okay, Uh, promised revival in the churches of America and a promised awakening in the marketplace. Two different things. Revival is is a re-coming alive again, and that happens at church. There's life there, but it's sort of dim and stuttering and smoky, and and then the Holy Spirit comes and blows on it, and it comes, it bursts the flame. In the marketplace, marketplace it's called an an awakening. Uh, 
people who have never even considered Jesus as the possibility that they need him in their hearts. <clears throat> okay? So when that comes to pass here in America, there's going to be new believers that are, will be filled with joy and, and they're, they are freed from sin and guilt and all their sin. And there'll be some harsh kickback as well from parents, friends, and the society around them that sees them as absolute opposite for the values that they want to live. <clears throat> I think this letter will help us prepare for what may come on us shortly. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, all of us have been blessed by the missionary move from Asia to Europe and then to the New World. Thank you for your directing hand in our previous generations and in our lives. As we approach this letter to 1 Thessalonians, open our eyes and our hearts to how quickly radical change can take place. Prepare us, Lord. You are the Lord, the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.